0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show... We've got Cole Huff in the building. We want to talk about the NBA playoffs. Cole Huff is a writer over at The Athletic as well as a variety of places. He covers gambling on our site. He covers basketball on our site in general. He's one of my favorite people over at The Athletic that covers basketball. Cole, what's going on, man?
1: NBA playoffs. Uh, (laughs) Lots to talk about. As we we touched on before, uh, before we started officially, just trying to keep up with all the games and stuff with the with the newborn around has been has been a thing, so oh you know, i'm ready god, to get into I it i 'm ready
0: to that. talk yeah i can't even imagine that's nuts. You shared with me your daughter 's name, and oh my god is it it's an incredible move i i I absolutely love what you guys did naming your daughter if you want to share.
1: Yeah, so we named her Winter. Um, my wife's name is Summer, so it was just kind of a play on that. And what I also <laughs> didn't tell you is that her middle name is Colette, which obviously is a branch of, of coal in a way. So Winter oh, Colette Huff. So we just went all amazing. in. We're, we're super excited. We just went all in. We'll see what so we'll see with what, what baby number two. If baby number two, when if if that happens, God willing, we'll see if, if he or she gets the special treatment that number one got.
0: Oh my God. Winter Huff is just a awesome, awesome name in general, though. Like even if your wife's name wasn't summer, like I feel like winter Huff just is an awesome name that rolls off the tongue. Like, Oh my God, Uh, that is incredible. I'm so excited for you. I'm not excited for the Brooklyn Nets though. They are done in this NBA playoff series. They crashed out in a sweep. It was the third closest sweep, uh, in a seven-game series in NBA playoff history, I believe that the spread between the two teams, the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics in their four games, was only 18 points. Uh, look, man, the games can be close, but Boston, who has struggled to win close games throughout this season, they won all four, and that's all that matters. Brooklyn is out of the playoffs now. And while I do want to talk about Boston in a minute here, and I think that Boston is a really, really important conversation because they are the favorites to- conference right now in my mind with Chris Middleton's injury uh with Jimmy Butler down uh not playing as we record right now uh with Kyle Lowry's injury as well I don't know how you can come to any other conclusion than Boston being at least the favorite at the moment if not uh the expectation I don't think they're necessarily quite that yet I want to start with Brooklyn because I find the Brooklyn conversation fascinating from a number of directions uh First and foremost, it feels like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are getting quite a bit of heat for the way that this season has gone. Kyrie for his absences and thus not allowing the team to build continuity, which I think is actually a really reasonable assessment. Kevin Durant for his performances throughout the series, where I'm a little bit more hit or miss on the traction I get there, given that this is an incredibly flawed team for reasons I'm sure we'll talk about. What is your overall reaction to the Brooklyn Nets being swept out of the playoffs at this point uh, and entering what is now an off season of real uncertainty for them?
1: Honestly, really surprised. Um, I was one of the ones who wasn't really sure that Brooklyn had enough um, to win the series, um, just given everything that has already been touched on with Kyrie not being around uh, because he chose not to get vaccinated, the James Harden trade, Joe Harris being injured, just, you know, just how the, the roster ended up um, turning out come playoff time. I wasn't really that big on them. Um, but to for them to get swept, I, I never would have imagined that. You know, I, I thought that, you know, anytime you go into a playoff game and you have, I mean, in my mind, the best player on the court and Kevin Durant and Kyrie, not, I mean, top three, whatever, whatever however you want to slice it, just two really elite players like that and you know i think the the thing that i didn't really take into consideration was just how real that that boston celtics defense was um once the once the, the calendar hit january of 2022 they turned it up another notch and you know i i know we'll get to them too um but yeah i, I don't know how how like what other way to to explain the nets showing um has been frustrating you know obviously Kevin, we, we haven't seen Kevin durant look like that before um not over a four game span um I mean a lot of that is on him you know when you're that good you kind of have to figure it out some of it is on coaching some of it is on roster construction and the guys that they had around him um and then Kyrie outside of outside of game one where he kind of went off you know he didn't really leave a mark on the series in, in either of the the next three games and you know, you you would imagine that someone with the history that they have against a former team like Boston, and how how vocal he's been about that, and how public has been, um, it kind of. I, I don't want to say that he he faded away and, and wasn't, you know, trying, but it he was he kind of disappeared for a little bit, especially in that in that fourth yeah. and final game yesterday. You know, he was hardly noticeable, and you know, tried to muster up a little run towards the end of the game, but it was too late. Um, but they're gonna have a big offseason. Um, you know, it starts with their their free agents retaining Bruce Brown and, and Nick Claxton. Um those were they're actually actually I mean, outside of Seth Curry when he was acquired, those were the only two uh that weren't kind of old and over the hill that actually provided value for uh for Brooklyn during the playoffs. And you need that athleticism, you need that youth. Obviously they they both have some holes in their games that they need to work on. Um three point shooting, free throw shooting, whatever, but just that that athleticism that was kind of lack that size at different positions, that's going to be important for them uh to retain going forward. And then, you know, we we kind of forget that how how good Joe Harris is and how much he was missed throughout the season. Um, you know, getting him healthy. Obviously, um, if, you know, I would imagine that Ben Simmons will still be around, um, seeing that they traded for him in the middle of the year. So I'd say, you know, retaining their their youth and athleticism while also getting healthy. Those are those are important things that we can't gloss over. Um but they're 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 gonna be in some interesting, you know, back into the roster uh situations where, you know, when you have a lot of money tied into your top guys and you're in win now mode, you kind of have to, you know, fill it out with with older vets that are looking to win and ring chase and that didn't really work out for them, whether it was, you know, Lamarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin. Paul Millsap before they got rid of him, you know, just guys like that didn't really work out. James Johnson. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with those, with those few final spots. But I would imagine that Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton will be around next year. And, you know, those guys coming back from injury.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm really glad you brought up the Joe Harris thing, because I think that that got glossed over in a really important way. This Nets team Very rarely had players on the court outside of Bruce Brown that were somewhere between six foot three and six foot nine, right? And I think that it created real structural problems for Brooklyn in playoff series in general. Boston is the ideal team to cause them problems with this because Boston is a team built around the fact that it's really fucking hard to find a mismatch problem against them. Like they play Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, uh, Marcus Smart, uh, you know Grant Williams, these guys that are super switchable and can essentially guard whoever you put on. Like game four, Grant Williams did a phenomenal job just making life harder for Kevin Durant. You're never going to shut down Kevin Durant. I don't think Boston would argue that they shut down Kevin Durant, but throughout this four-game series, they did a really good job of giving him just different looks, right? Giving him different uh, matchups that uh, made it harder for him to get into a rhythm because once Kevin gets into a rhythm, it's game over. I think that Boston is the ideal version of the kind of team that is built to slow down Brooklyn. More than that, though, they're the ideal team that is built to cause Brooklyn all sorts of problems defensively. And I don't think Brooklyn ever had a chance to defend Any of the top four teams, maybe even Chicago as well in this playoffs, because at the end of the day, when you're playing three significant mismatch magnets in the playoffs at once on the court, you're going to get hit. It it just kind of comes down to it, right? You're going to get beat. You have all of Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Goran Dragic. There were times where they had three of those guys on the court at once. It's just not going to work. It's it's not going to work. You throw Andre Drummond in the mix there. That's a significant problem. Like, Andre Drummond could not play in this series. He just couldn't play because he's not fast enough and because he's a magnet every single time Jason Tatum gets the ball, they're having a man come up, set a screen, and Jason's trying to string him out, or Jalen's trying to string him out, right? So it's hard, and I I think that any moment – where Brooklyn didn't have all of Kyrie Irving, Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant out there, they were at a significant disadvantage structurally. And that's where Joe Harris is. Joe Harris isn't a great defender, but he's someone that gives you at least size and strength to not just get shot over the top of Jason Tatum. Uh, to not get shot over the top of by Jalen Brown. He gives them a structural, you know, lineup that makes sense. He gives I gives them some physicality as gone. well. He gives them physicality and you don't lose any of the shooting. You in fact gain shooting when he's on the court uh, in floor spacing. In fact, I kind of thought that Steve Nash should have dusted off Kessler Edwards at some point in this series because six, seven long, good team defender, Shoots 36% from three like, yeah, teams might not guard him, but he might not. He might hurt them if that happens. And Mm -hmm. he's given you more defensively than what any of those guards are going to give you. So I think that that's what they need to focus on this summer. They're obviously going to get Ben Simmons in the mix here. Somehow we expect, right? Like we're, we are hoping to see Ben Simmons play basketball again. Um, Ben Simmons is the exact guy I thought they needed both offensively and defensively offensively. He was a guy that could come up and set screens for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And when Boston put two on the ball and tried to get the ball out of one of their two hands, you could have short rolled him and played him in four on three situations yep. and taken advantage of his passing. I, uh, you know, defensively, he gives them, you know, one of the best switchable defenders in the NBA. You know, we're just a year removed from him being a finalist for, you know, defensive player of the year. So, He will solve a lot of problems for them. You know, I think that, you know, hopefully they can bring in another switchable defender that structurally just gives them lineup balance. I think they're closer to competing than it feels right now, at the very least, coming off of this sweep. But they have some work to do. And the main piece of that work is finding a way to get Ben Simmons on the court, which it feels like is... Like the biggest wild card in the NBA that is not Zion Williamson related right now.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, the rest of the East. I mean, we saw throughout the year; it just got better. Like clearly, we just saw with Boston how how easily they handled the Nets. Milwaukee isn't going anywhere. Miami looks amazing. Um, if you know, who knows how much Lonzo actually you know really 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 changed. Um, you know, however far Chicago would have taken it this year. But team, teams are getting better, and, you know, so I, I think I agree exactly with what you're saying, how it may seem now, you know, fresh off of a sweep that, you know, Brooklyn is a lot farther behind than they actually are, um, but at the same time, you know, they, they're they not just locked into a number two or number three seed if, if everyone is healthy and everything's clicking, like, the East is really good, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to the off season as well, and seeing you know what moves they make, who they retain, who they trade. I don't I don't know what they're going to do with their draft picks if they're trying to package those or if they can find the steal in the draft. But yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to, I'm looking forward to. It. I think that they've been humbled a little bit as well, and they're going to be on a mission next year to to try to make some things work.
0: Yeah, and you know I'm still a believer in Kevin Durant at the end of the day. Um, I know that Kyrie got some shit yesterday for saying like, you know, it's a partnership between Kevin, I, and Sean Marks and Joe and it's yeah. just like, okay, let's maybe you know scale back a little bit, Kyrie, because the creativity in yeah. the summer, if you if you want to, I, I think at the end of the day, what Kyrie was trying to say is like, look, I want to be here, like I'm, I'm not leaving. This year did not sway me, you know, even though it was strange functionally for me because. I had to sit out due to New York restrictions. Like, I think he was as much as anything in his own convoluted way, trying to assuage the fan base that he was not leaving. And it came out in a way that it only can come out of Kyrie Irving's mouth. And like
1: he said, he said that with Boston before, like he wanted to say and stuff, but like, there's, there's a difference. Like he's really, him and Kevin Durant are actually pretty close and stuff. So he said he wants to, stick with seven or something like that. Uh, however he praised it yeah. before, but I, I believe him. Even, I don't know if I should, but I believe him.
0: <laughs> I, I think I believe him on this point, if not right. much else in Kyrie Irving's life. Uh, <laughs> but I want to talk about Boston, the team that Kyrie used to play for. And I think this is the clear favorite in the Eastern Conference. I said on February 23rd that I thought this was a team that was going to make the Eastern Conference finals when they were sitting in sixth in the Eastern Conference. I think the thing that I didn't value enough is that, you know, let's do a quick impromptu draft real quick between the two of us. How many players would you take right now as a playoff player that you trust to provide two-way play, shot creation, efficient shot making over Jason Tatum? So like I I would take Luka Duncan. In the playoffs right now. Yeah, like I think I would take Giannis and Luca ahead of him. I'm not sure I would take anyone else that is left in this playoffs ahead of Jason Tatum.
1: Okay, and we're factoring factoring in defense as well, correct?
0: Factoring in defense, factoring the fact that, you know, I want to talk about Toronto and Philly in a minute right. here, but I mean if you watch that Philly game yesterday, Toronto attacked Joel Embiid defensively. Like I think they that you can, figured that out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think you can make a case for Jimmy Butler. I don't know how much yeah. the shot creation uh, would necessarily be there. He does seem to, you know, he's turned it up a little bit this postseason and he did in the bubble. And I know it was the bubble, but, you know, he showed a lot there. So I don't know if I would take him over uh, Tatum or, or Luca though, but he would be up there. But other than that, I think I'd really have to, you know, <laughs> sit down and look at a list of all the teams and really think about it. But none popped to, you know, the top of my mind. Jason Tatum is really he's he's up there
0: like I I might take I mean it's hard like I might take Steph just in trust that Steph is you know he's been there before and he's an elite shot maker in the playoffs at the end of the day and he makes everyone better by his sheer presence out there I mean Mm -hmm. I don't think I would take Jokic over Tatum in a playoff series as we've kind of seen Golden State take advantage of what he brings to the table defensively um Embiid is interesting. Like, I think Embiid is the other guy. Uh, When Embiid is locked in defensively and able to slide his feet a little bit better than what we've seen the last two games for Philadelphia, I'm I'm intrigued, for sure. And I think Joel is the other guy that has a case. But I legitimately think there is a case that Jason Tatum is, out of the guys remaining in this playoffs— not including Kawhi Leonard, not including Kevin Durant, not including um, LeBron James. Out of guys remaining in this playoffs, Jason Tatum's a top three guy that I might take at this point. It's his leap has been remarkable. Uh, he's so good across the board now.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've always, you know, I've always respected his game and how he plays. Um, but there have been times in the past where, you know, sometimes it looked like he's a little too cool out there and like he's, you know, a little too finesse, a little, you know just his whole demeanor, his whole vibe is just kind of who he is as a person. He's a, he's a laid back dude, but I, I have nothing. I have nothing to nitpick at with him. Like yeah. the size he's gotten stronger, you know, he's defending Kevin Durant. He's defending the best guys on the court, super efficient out there. He's, you know, I, I know that for a while in the beginning of his career, uh, certainly he was kind of mid range heavy and kind of those inefficient shots, but he, it's like he's seeing the game in slow motion now. He's accepting the double teams, making the right reads. Um, he's competing. You know, he, uh, he stays out of foul trouble. He got some, some bogus ones yesterday. Um, but yeah, man, he's, he's looking like he's going to be one of, if he isn't already, one of the top, however many players in the NBA for years to come. Like he's really special. And what he did this throughout this whole series, I mean, even last year, um, I know they, I think they were the ones that got swept last year. If maybe it went five. Um, he showed signs of it last year. He had a 50 point game or whatever. But this year, just on, on both ends of the court from game one, he was the, he was the best player on the court um yeah. for four games. I know you know a lot of that has to with – On do a court with,
0: with Kevin Durant.
1: On a court with Kevin Durant, he was the best player. He performed the best. And we can get into, you know, whether or not that happens. If there's other players available in Brooklyn and you can't key in on this matchup and whatnot. But what, what what they had out there, he was, you know, you you pick someone from from Mars or Jupiter, there and you tell them to watch basketball, they're going to pick. J- Jason Tatum was the best guy out there, hands down.
0: And that's a, that says a lot about where he is. I'm so glad you brought up the idea of like the game slowing down for him. That's what it feels like every time you watch him. Like he just gets to his spots and elevates over guys, and then he gets to his spots, and if the team collapses down on him, he's improved so much as a passer, like. I feel good about him getting at least five assists just about every game now. Like I I think that he's going to make the right decision to get his team involved every time. And, you know, the addition of Derek white, I think really helped their ball movement, but more than anything, I think that the game slowing down for Jason Tatum, this was a team that you watched them early in the year. They looked, I don't want to say they didn't have fun playing together, but they looked a little bit disconnected in terms of the offensive side of the floor where it was like, Jason and Jalen would take turns and like it was not as ball movement heavy and look it's not necessarily like the most ball movement centric it's not the Golden State Warriors right but it feels a lot more unselfish now it feels like they're a lot more connected as a group Marcus Smart's uh uh, I think a really important piece of that offensively as well in addition to defensively uh his ability to get teammates involved so I, I think that I think Boston's the favorite right now in the East, and I think they are one of the three best teams in the NBA if Phoenix is healthy. And we'll talk about Phoenix here later as well. I have some concerns there, but um, I think Boston is is in a really good position right now moving forward.
1: Yeah, and it's funny that you brought up Marcus Smart. Um, I think I wrote in one of my columns maybe a month or six weeks ago or something, you know, ever since he came to the NBA, he's kind of been – I wouldn't say cast to the side, but he's been a two or he shared time. Like he came in, Rondo was the point guard. And then you got Kyrie, uh, you got Kimba, whoever whoever else you want. But like even they, they tried to have him split time with guys like Rozier and, you know, Dennis Schroeder this year. And, you know, eventually got to a point this year where they just handed him the keys. And like, he's been fantastic. Like he was a point guard in college. I know he, he kind of had a little bit of, of both in him just cause of his size and, you know, uh, ability to defend multiple positions. But man, I think that was the most, one of the most important developments for them is establishing, you know, who, who's going to run the offense. I mean, you know, you're still going to get the ball to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They're going to do their things, but, you know, having that point guard, that selfless out there, um, which is, which is different from guys that they've had in the past. Um, someone that, you know, Ime Udoka could trust to run the offense and, move the ball, get guys involved who's gonna compete and give us his all every position. Like I don't I don't know if the the Celtics are still here if if Marcus Smart isn't handed those keys to the point point guard position. Like you see it in the box in the box scores. Like he'll he'll get a bunch of assists. But he's honestly just out there making the right play. And that's been huge for them just to have him on the court for all those minutes as well.
0: Yeah. Now they have Robert Williams back as well. This is a tough out. I mean, I think Milwaukee is the team that is most well-suited to potentially giving them problems if Chris Middleton's healthy, but we have to see what's going on with Chris Middleton, I think, before we even get into that world and whether or not they can knock off the Celtics team that is playing exceptionally well. And now Miami is, you know, they're in the midst of this game right now with the Hawks, and, you know, Jimmy Butler's not playing. Kyle Lowry's not playing. If both of those guys are healthy, great. Like, I'm, I'm all in. Like, they're phenomenal but Mm -hmm. uh, I think Boston's a little bit better. I think they've played the best in the East since the calendar turned to 2022. I maintain that. And I think that, you know, for as much as I was out on a limb in February when they were sixth in the East and I thought they were going to make a big playoff run. Like I'm, I think I didn't go far enough is where I'm at at this Mm -hmm. point. They're just really good, a really good team. Um, Let's, let's move on. But first let's take a quick commercial break. We have a, we have a lot of other playoff series we want to dive into. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. is somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. All right, we're back. The next series I want to jump into is the 76ers Raptors series, which has weirdly and quickly turned competitive uh after a 3-0 lead from the 76ers. Unfortunately, I know that the memes regarding Doc Rivers uh are prevalent and uh his Playoff, uh, <laughs> his playoff uh, lack of success shortcomings. Times and his playoff shortcomings uh, in uh, his uh, inability to hold on to a lead, such as being the only coach that has ever dropped multiple three-one series leads uh, as a coach. Uh, I think they're showing up here, and I think that Nick Nurse has kind of jumped on top of him uh, from a coaching perspective in this series. What is is kind of your immediate thought on where the 76ers and Raptors are as they head back to Toronto, the 76ers up three to two?
1: Momentum is real, man. Like the Raptors, they're going to go back with all the momentum. I think they play tomorrow or Thursday. It's going to be loud in there. It's going to be crazy. They have all the confidence in the world. Like like we know, based on everything you just said, we know, Twitter knows, the media knows, like – everything that's happened with Doc Rivers teams over the last few years, like that doesn't escape the Toronto players as well. Like they know that when teams are vulnerable and, you know, doubt starts to creep in and, you know, I, before the series started, I thought that Nick nurse was going to out coach Doc Rivers and he was going to make, um, make it funky and make it weird in a way that only Nick nurse does, you know, with all the wings and throwing doubles at Joel and putting all this size on hard end and, And, you know, I think they did that pretty well for for the first few games. I mean, Joel Embiid hit a three and, you know, that kind of swung the the momentum of the series, put him up 3-0. But now it's starting to happen. And I know, you know, some of the the readers today got mad at my column because I didn't really – in my discussion of Sixers, um, Raptors, I didn't hit on Joel Embiid's injury too much, which is – that's a real thing as well. Um, You know, you could see in game – what was it yesterday game five game four yeah game four game yesterday five. or whatever it was game five yesterday um just him not being able to catch the ball him unforced turnovers where he's trying to dribble and it goes off his hand like you know interestingly enough i had that exact same injury when i was at nevada um i tore some ligaments in my thumb and it just felt like i jammed my thumb but then it just never went away and every time somebody hit it mm. um a week or two later, like it get caught on a Jersey, you catch a pass funny. Like, it just feels like you rejam your finger every time. So that's, that's going to be something to, to, to monitor. Um, I don't know how far Philly goes with a less than hundred percent Joel and beat or whatever level he was at before his injury. Um, But I'm, I'm riding the Raptors train right now. Like they're, you know, he's not doing himself any, himself any favors by catching all these passes at the three point line. And, You know, maybe he just wants to see the double team a little bit better. doesn't want to feel all the, you know, the physicality and the presence of being down low. But, you know, I I went back and rewatched a bunch of clips. And every time he catches it on the block or he has two feet in the paint, he goes up so quickly and he's so much bigger and stronger than everyone that he's getting fouled or he's scoring. But every time that he catches it five feet off the block, catches at the elbow, catches at the top of the arc, like he's got nothing. And, you know, when guys around him aren't helping him, you know, take advantage of those double teams like James Harden. Max, he hasn't been good, or he hasn't been scoring well these past couple of games. Danny Green has kind of hit or miss. It's tough. And, you know, the Raptors, are they're going to keep doing that. They're not going to show any mercy. So I'm, I'm, I'm banking. I'm counting on the Raptors to win game six and then potentially whatever happens in game seven, it's, it's going to be one for the books. That's for sure.
0: Well, you know what? There's going to be a lot of pressure on Philly going back home in Game 7 after last year against Atlanta. That, that is, that's a real pressure cooker for them. They're going to have to showcase that they can win a big game like that. Now, the thing that I want to bring up in regard to Nick Nurse and why I think he's schematically and X's and O's-wise jumped on top of Philly is what he's doing offensively. They're, he's attacking Joel Embiid in two ways that I think are really impressive. So, early in the series, I thought that Tobias Harris did a really good job of containing Pascal Siakam into the help. I thought that he did a really good job of shading him, and Philadelphia was telling pa- or telling Joel clearly, be shaded over to where Pascal is when he has the ball and be ready to aggressively help. Be ready to just attack him and get the ball out of his hands. What... Toronto has done now is they're starting to play off of that aggressive help with Joel Embiid. They are realizing that Joel is going to come aggressive with the help. And they're having, for instance, Precious Achua, you know, back cut him immediately upon when he sees Joel step up and help. Mm. And you had a couple of passes last night, particularly one, I believe in the third quarter, if I remember, where it was just an immediate, he caught him. Like, Pascal or Pascal hit Precious Chua on that little dump off on the back cut and just immediately scored, right? Uh, I believe there were two other instances of that. I think that one resulted in a bucket. So they're realizing how heavy Joel is helping toward Pascal and how heavily Joel is helping toward their other guys and playing off of that. The second thing is they're doing a better job of getting Pascal Siakam in space by playing him on the ball and having him attack earlier in the offense, I think. They're either getting Joel strung out earlier on the perimeter and allowing Pascal to just use his foot speed to blow by him or using Precious Achua even to use his foot speed to blow by him. He had a straight line drive against uh, Joel yesterday that was shocking. It was just like, wow, there was no resistance here. And whenever you get Joel on the ball away, I don't think Philadelphia has the level of help defense necessary to be able to protect the basket. So I think that Nurse is doing a really good job of using Joel's defensive ability against Philadelphia in really interesting, intelligent ways. And like, this is, this is why, like, whenever I hear, oh my God, like the, the Warriors are playing Nikola Jokic off the court uh, in the series against the Nuggets. Like what are, how is this guy your MVP? I mean, you go back and you watch that third quarter against Philadelphia where Toronto six straight possessions got Joel strung out on the perimeter and scored every time. They scored every single time. It's a real concern. It is hard to play big-bodied centers who can't move in space defensively in the playoffs. Really good coaches are going to get those matchups they want and they're going to exploit them. Especially and when there's no Joel- bigs
1: on the other, on the other side. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Joel is a good defensive player. I don't mean this as like, you know, Joel sucks defensively. Nikola Jokic is a better defender than Joel. He's not. Joel's a better defender. He's really good as a help defender. He's really good as a rim protector. But Toronto has now found a way to use Joel's defensive ability against them uh, and to take advantages of his uh, lack of foot speed in a way that's concerning. And Philadelphia is going to have to adjust. They're going to have to stop aggressively helping with Joel, I think as much as they are. And, you know, it's going to be on dock to make that real adjustment. So I'm, I'm a little worried <laughs> about like, yeah. just what I've seen structurally from Philadelphia. And there's a second thing I want to get to, but where are you kind of add on the way Philadelphia is defending at this point?
1: So my, my question to you after, you know, the, the schematic issues that, Philadelphia has on defense, and Nick Nurse is exploiting. Like, do you now you take Joel Embiid away from the help? Like, you don't you don't bring him over as often or as much. Do you just not as aggressively? On, yeah, not okay, not as aggressively. Do you just bank on Tobias Harris playing Siakam as well as he did for parts of the first couple of games, while Siakam has now kind of found his groove in games four and five. And he looks like the Siakam that we saw during the regular season. Like, is it almost too late to kind of put all of that, put that assignment on just one person as opposed to relying on your team defense? Cause I mean, that's what Joel is, is good at, but if it's going to affect the rest of, you know, the way that the Raptors play offense and it's going to take Philly out of, you know, positions to, to be able to get stops, then what, what would be the substitute other than either playing one-on-one or bringing Joel out, which I don't, I don't think you want to do for someone with more speed and more size to to help and recover?
0: I would play Tobias on Pascal and not as aggressively help, thus not open up, opening up as many passing lanes for Pascal to be able to make plays as a distributor. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I would try and play five out and outscore them. Like, I, I would play – I think Joel can play five out. Like, that counts. Like, I think that – or you can play four around one, right? Like, I would be playing Harden, Maxie, Harris, and whoever you think your best offensive player is, uh, your fifth mm-hmm. best offensive player out there. Um, I would not be playing Thibault. Thibault obviously can't play game six. Uh, I, I don't think he is for this series. He has nobody that – he can't play as a stopper on Pascal because he's not strong enough and he is not a good enough offensive player. Toronto doesn't guard him, and he can't shoot. Like it's, He's not effective enough on that end to where they're getting more marginal value from his presence on defense than he's taking off the court offensively. So mm-hmm. I, I would not play Theibel the rest of the series. I would play all offense, and I would try and outscore them. And if you're Philadelphia, this is why you acquired James Harden. Like, this is the whole ball game, right? Sometimes here.
1: it's that simple, you know?
0: Like, th- this is what it comes down to. You need James to beat Scotty Barnes, who is doing a really good job of guarding him. You need James to beat OG Ananobi. You need him to beat all these long, tough defenders. And I worry whether or not James can do that, to be frank. Yeah. I-, I don't think he looks that good right now. I think that his burst you know be it the injury that happened earlier this year is you know catching up to him in terms of everything else um you know i thought he got really good by the mid-season point but maybe it's you know all kind of ballooning again later you just never know with like these soft tissue injuries on some level right and how they can fester throughout the year some days you feel good some days you don't feel good some weeks you don't feel good i think they should put the ball in Maxie's hands more i think that's where i'm at I think that you use James more as a secondary ball handler and you use Maxi as your guy and you tell Maxie we need 30, uh, or we need 25 and five assists from you. And then you use James on the weak side to try and get advantage opportunities. Or I think that you try and get James the ball more often on dribble handoffs where he's already moving, uh, I think that one thing that I've seen from James is he's struggling when he has to create his own shot, right? When he has to, like, go and go get a bucket right now, right? I don't know yeah, if he has he, that. He, he can't. Burst. I'm not going to say
1: he can't, but it, it's kind of nasty. He's he, he lost. I mean, it might be due to the injury, um, the hamstring, but he's lost so much burst, as you alluded to. Um, yeah. Even when he does get – even when he's able to – dribble his way a million times and get someone to reach and go by them. Like he can't finish out the room. Everything is, he's trying to draw a foul when he gets into the paint or, yeah. you know, he's going to throw it weak side to, to a shooter. Like everything, everything he's so reliant on his step back three now for him to have big scoring nights that that's, that's an issue. And it's weird to even hear you say, which is totally true. Like, put the ball in in Tyrese Maxey's hands and let him work and let James be the secondary ball handler, let him spot up and get James on the move so he can get downhill. Like I wouldn't have imagined like this time, this time last year during the regular, regular season last year, like even that even being a thing, you know, uh, it's just, it just goes to show where he's at right now with his health and his, his ability to impact the game. Because if he's, I mean, if you look at this, this series, um honestly, the second half of the season as well like if he's not making threes he's not he's not really able to score he might have six field goals and three of them are threes and they're all step backs you know what i mean he's not getting to the line as as frequently especially in in this post season where i guess the refs have, have kind of not given him the benefit of the doubt when he goes into the lane so it's they're they're in a they're in a tough situation i'm i'm sure We'll we'll talk more like when the off season rolls around. Then it's time to about his contract and what Philly does with that. But right now, it's um, they need a lot from him. Like Toronto needed more from Siakam, and Siakam has delivered. Sometimes it's just as simple as your best player is being better. You know what I mean? And um, I'm I'm hopeful that I'll see it because I like James Harden, the player. I like him, the guy. Hopefully, he can kind of get rid of these these playoff issues. Um, but it's not it's not trending in the right direction.
0: Yeah, well, I think that if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm trying to get him the ball on the move. Like, I'm running dribble handoffs for him where he's coming up from the corner, fly away, catch or grab the ball from Noel, and maybe trying to get downhill that way, right? Like, he needs to find a way to be able to get downhill in order to at least put pressure on Toronto's defense a little bit. They haven't done enough of that. There are too many possessions where James Harden is dribbling the ball 35 feet from the basket and can't beat Scotty Barnes off the bounce. Just can't can't get past them because Scotty's long and athletic and tough. Like, it's, you know, it's tough. And, and then they're going to get Fred VanVleet back now, hopefully in game six, and Fred's going to add a different dynamic. If I was Toronto, I'd keep playing Fred off the ball and I'd allow Pascal to play on the ball and use Fred as your secondary playmaker a little bit more in a similar way to what I'm talking about with James Harden. Um, I would continue to put... Tobias Harris in a lot of space and force him to guard Pascal. So uh, I trust Nick Nurse to do that a lot more than I trust Doc Rivers, though, at this point, because Nick Nurse has a proven track record of being able to adjust. Uh, let, let's move to the next series I wanted to talk about, which is Utah and Dallas. Have you seen anything from Utah that says this series is not over?
1: No. And that little <laughs> the, that little love at the end of, of Game 4 did not bring me any hope either. Um, you touched on it earlier about, you know, having these big centers, you know, kind of be exploited in the playoffs. And while I, I think that's true, like in Gobert's case, it, it may be true, you know, he gets switched on to Luca, he gets switched on to, to smaller guards and they kind of, you know, they take their chances on him, but like him being sucked in from, from his man and, and having to help at the rim and giving up all those threes, you know, Terrence Mann. Whoever uh, Maxie Cleaver, whoever you want to throw out there, like Utah's point of attack defense is pathetic, and yeah, from Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, you name it, whoever it is, they're just they they don't have anyone that can stay in front of the ball. I mean, I guess uh, Daniel House might be the closest thing they have to that, which isn't yeah, a Royce good O'Neal thing.
0: maybe, yeah, Royce
1: O'Neal I guess, yeah, just with his activity and he's the only one that's out there that you can. I guess, kind of trust, even though I don't think that he's phenomenal at, at, as a one-on-one defender as well. But, yeah, I don't I don't see anything. And then on the other end, you know, Dallas' defense has been only behind Boston, really, um, for for a long time now in terms of, you know, having the personnel, having the length, you know, the Finney Smith. Um, Reggie Bullock has, I mean, he's finally making a shot on the other end now. He started off the season kind of poorly. But he's always been a good defender. He was great in New York. He's great in Detroit. It's kind of just been his thing. He's making th- those guys Spencer Dinwiddie, whoever you, whoever you want to throw out there. Even Luca, I saw him contest the three the other day and get a block. Like those dudes are just flying around. They're bought in. They're they're making life extremely difficult for Donovan Mitchell. Had nine points the other day. Um, Mike Conley, I don't think scored in game two. Like i i, I don't have any I don't have any confidence that they're gonna be able to figure something out. Um there's only one game, maybe two games left if if they can figure it out at, at home. But I'm I'm not a believer, um, which is which is unfortunate because, you know, on paper they have they have some guys that, that should be able to get them past the first round. You know what I mean? But man, just the way the, the, the previous two postseasons ended for them, the way that this regular season went, it kind of just seems like This is supposed – it's supposed to be how this this season ends for them and how they they go their separate ways in the offseason.
0: Yeah, I think that what I'm most frustrated by in this series for Utah is Donovan Mitchell's performance. Even beyond the missed shots, right? Like, and you're going to have to live with some of that from Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, he's a volume scorer. He's a shot creator. Like, they want to have the ball in his hands. He's a great scorer. I, I think he is a genuinely good scorer. The problem for me is like, where did any of his defensive ability go? Like, when Utah drafted him, it was he's six foot three with a seven foot wingspan. And at Louisville, you could at least trust him to defend. And he improved as a shooter and he improved his shot creator his last year there. It was he was conscientious on both ends. He was like a high upside player because of the athleticism and the length and everything like that. But you felt good about him being a role player at the next level as well because the defense gave him that ceiling. I thought in his first year, he was pretty good for a rookie defensively. He has all the tools to be good defensively. Again, this is a guy that has a seven-foot wingspan. He's athletic. He moves his feet well. He's strong. Like, I I, I hate fucking distilling it down to like, a prideful thing or like needing to focus in effort and energy on that because there's so much more that goes into defense than that at the NBA level defense at the professional level is so fucking hard that it's insane, but God damn it. Donovan Mitchell, like just sit down and like really give effort, like lock in on that end. There is no reason that fucking Jalen Brunson with his tools should be torching Donovan Mitchell every time down the court. Like all due respect to Jalen Brunson. I think he's phenomenal. I think he deserves $20 million next year. I think he's a great basketball player. He's a starting point guard in the NBA. Donovan Mitchell should not be getting torched every time that he has stuck on Jalen Brunson in space. Like it's just, it, it, it eludes me. I, I don't know what happened there. I, I just can't, I can't really get it with Donovan. He's like, he's the nicest human being. Like I've talked to him pre-draft. Like he's, He's a really good character person. You look at all he's done for Utah. Like, it's not that; it's just for whatever reason he doesn't want to sit down and defend. Like, it, it kind of just comes back to that for me. And it's, um, it, it, it if I am Utah, it gives me real like hesitation on what I am doing this off season now. Like, do I move him? Do I move Rudy? Do I move both of them and just start over totally? I I, I don't know. But the Donovan conversation is. One that, like, I know he gets a lot of shit for, and I think it's reasonable at this point. Like, I, I like I, I just want to see him defensively sit down, and maybe he doesn't play in game, game six, right? Like, he's hurt his hamstring at the end of that game. The scans came back negative. They have hopes that he will play game six. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, when you watch someone like that that has all the tools defensively, like, does it frustrate you like it does me? Like Anthony sure. Edwards didn't give a shit defensively at Georgia. You watch them play Memphis. He's good. Like he's good on the ball. It's effort. It's mm-hmm. length. It's intensity. Like Donovan Mitchell has less athleticism than Anthony Edwards does, but like he's 6'3", 6'4", with a seven-foot wingspan and has that strength. Like it's, how much does that frustrate you? Like I'm I'm annoyed. <laughs>
1: of course, yeah. Especially I used to play. I'm like, man, I wish I had that kind of – you know, athleticism and, and put speed and strength, like you're just wasting God-given or maybe God-given, but you, I'm sure you worked on it and, you know, you're in the weight room and stuff, but you're just wasting it. And, you know, there's multiple ways to look at it. Like if I'm, if just from my, from my seat, the past two seasons, Utah has gotten blown by off the dribble. Rudy Gobert has had to save them. They're giving up a gang of threes, like, do they not watch film like that, that those type of efforts and lack of, yeah. of execution, like that has to be, that has to be looked at. Like, I, I feel like someone like Eric Spolstra or Tyron Lu, whatever elite yeah. coach that you want to name, like they're not letting that stuff fly. And it just re- repeatedly happens. It's like with Mitchell, whoever else you want to name, but we're, we're focusing on Mitchell here. And maybe it's just a, he's checked out. I, I don't know. Like the, the body language, the the whole vibe around the team, like for this, this past year, past year and a half, like nobody seems like they really, really get along. Nobody really wants to play with one another. They don't want to sacrifice. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like everybody has a foot out the door. And when you're a leader of the team, you have to set the, you have to set the tempo with your, with your effort. Yeah. Like even if you're not making shots, even if you're not, you know, seeing the court well on offense and turn the ball over, whatever. But if your if your effort is there, the team is going to follow. And they don't have anyone there that that setting that setting that tempo. Like, and it starts with Donovan Mitchell. If he's the the face of the franchise going forward, I know he's the young guy. He's going to get the max contract probably. But I'm I'm like you, man. Like, if if the, if it ends the way that we think it's going to end, and everything continues going like when I roll into the off season, I'm going to have some serious you know, I'm going to have to sit down and and talk to my staff and talk to the front office. And like, is this what we want to build our, build our team around going forward? Is he going to leave us going forward when he has free agency? Like, you know, it's, it's it's really unfortunate because he has all the tools.
0: you, You look at a guy like Devin Booker, Devin Booker was bad defender early in his career. Like he really struggled on that end. He got better. He has improved drastically on the defensive end over the course of his time in the NBA. He's not a liability anymore. Like you don't attack Devin Booker and say, oh, I have an advantage now. And Devin Booker's, you know, somewhere between six foot five and six foot six, right? But he doesn't have anywhere near the length Donovan Mitchell does. Like, I think they're probably, frankly, like similarly strong on that end. It's not like Devin Booker has like inherently, I would say more basketball IQ than Donovan Mitchell has. Like it, it just eludes me. Uh, on a number of fronts. And you mentioned the idea of, like, does the staff not watch tape? Like, do they not, like, see what's going on? I-, I don't know how you looked at it. I said this on February 27th. I went back and looked. Like, I don't know how this team at the trade deadline did not go, we need to acquire another perimeter defender. We need to sell out and go get Kenrich Williams from Oklahoma City. And I know Oklahoma City was not super interested in moving him, but someone like that, right? We need to go and find a um you know another athletic perimeter defender who can go Derek and- White. Derek White's another one. Derek White probably was a little too expensive for them, given what their assets are, but someone like Derek White, right? Like go get those guys. Like could you maybe cause Atlanta was out of the playoff picture at the time. Could you have tried to go get Delon Wright, who's been really effective for them in this playoff series? Like, I don't know, man. It's like the one Ray played at Utah. I mean, like you should be familiar with his game. Like, it, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a frustrating team to watch. Um, and I, I feel bad for that front office that has built such a competitive team in a tough market to build a competitive team. And now it feels like they have to blow it up in the off season. And that sucks. Like it, it just blows that that's what you've done. And you know, the front office doesn't get a pass. Like they should have gone out and acquired a guy. Right. But, um, you know, they've gotten way more right than they have gotten wrong over the last five years. And they're still in this place where they can't get out of the first round. They might have to blow up the core and make some decisions this summer. I don't know, man. It, it, it's bad. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next playoff series we wanted to talk about. Uh, the Pelicans are really good. Like, I just want to say that. This is where I'm at. Like, this is a good team. Willow Green's really good. Uh, Willie Green is an awesome basketball coach and I think the Pelicans have played better in the minutes I've seen and I've watched probably three of the four games in both series so far right um I think they've played better than both Memphis and Minnesota that Memphis Minnesota series is super fun but I don't know how well played it is right now (laughs) I watch New Orleans and I'm like man, this team guards, like, they have shot makers, they have lineup versatility, they really care, they play as, like, together. They just might not be talented enough to beat Phoenix because Chris Paul is really good, and DeAndre Ayton is back to be in playoff DeAndre Ayton again. Like, they might not be good enough to beat the 64-win team, right? But, God damn it, I, I respect the shit out of the Pelicans because they – defend they fight they scratch they claw and they have built the kind of identity that uh that i respect in an organization i guess
1: yeah and i'm glad you started with willie green too like he's he's having a phenomenal season obviously it's been it's been highlighted even more so in the postseason now that they're on national tv and the quality of opponents that that they're playing but like man he's doing some good stuff out there like even putting Jose Alvarado out there in, in the second half, just to to tire out Chris Paul, just chase him around. I don't know. I don't know if you are going to get a steal. I don't know what you are going to do on the offensive end, but just annoy him, annoy the hell out of him, make him tired, frustrate him. Like just just little things like that. That you know, some coaches wouldn't even think about doing playing an undrafted rookie. You know, what I mean, um, in, in one of the biggest games of the season, and they're fun, man. Like I, obviously they're they're good. They're, they've been great, you know. They've they've executed better than a lot of teams have in, in this postseason. But like, they're fun, man. And there's something there's something so cool and so great about you know that team that comes out of nowhere and they're just getting their their journey started. Um, The energy in, in that building—I don't even know the name of the, the arena anymore. Smoothie King, Smoothie maybe King Center. Know. Smoothie King, yeah, that's still it. Not to be mistaken by the one in. um in Providence, what's 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 Providence? There, oh, the, called?
0: the Dunk is what Dunkin' Donut, dunk Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. There at. you go.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts arena. Good times. Um, but yeah, and honestly, like I I I do believe that Phoenix is is good enough to still win without Devin Booker. Um,
0: yeah,
1: I kind of would be surprised if they didn't. Just just given how great that they are defensively. Um, my questions with them just come on offense. Honestly, like. I didn't realize how, how, I'm not going to say how limited this team was, but when you take away a Devin Booker and you kind of look at the rest of the roster, you know, Chris Paul is going to do his pick and roll stuff. He's going to be selective, save his energy, pick his spots. And, you know, when it's time to turn it on, he's going to try to turn it on. Um, DeAndre Ayton is really good in the post. He's, he's really good in the, in the pick and roll. He has tremendous touch, but like, you know they're taking away those pick and roll opportunities from Phoenix. Man, like you're you're counting on like um, Cam Cam Johnson hasn't been great at his, at his three point shooting. No one guys are getting open shots. Jay Crowder hasn't either. Um, Mikael Bridges hasn't even really been taking a lot. He's he's kind of been limited in that area, and you're you're asking him to create more off the dribble. And you know campaign hasn't been the campaign from last postseason off the bench. Like yeah. there's there's a lot. Like there's a lot to be concerned about um, with Phoenix's offense, and it's it's worrisome. I I don't know what exactly the adjustment is that Monty Williams is going to make. I know that they'll they'll throw some wrinkles in. Maybe you bring in um, a Aaron Holiday a little more often, maybe just to try to give a spark in the way that Jose Alvarado did. Um, I don't know, but the, the the offense is is worrying me a little bit. Um, but ultimately, I don't think that you know. Chris Paul, Monty Williams, DeAndre, and whatever that dynamic is between those three, I think that they'll figure out a way to get it done. Um, they have home court advantage, which is huge. Um, but yeah, they're they're in a series. It's it's probably probably the most fun series of the first round, in my opinion. I don't know where you stand on that, but it's been highly entertaining, highly competitive. The dudes are chippy. No one's backing down. Like it's great. It's great basketball, man. It's playoff basketball.
0: I love that series. I'm totally with you. I've had the most fun watching Phoenix in new Orleans so far, those two teams, like you said, like there is that chippiness, like any game with Chris Paul is going to have that inherent, like messiness. And then Jose Alvarado is obviously fucking annoying. And Herb Jones is like, he is someone who is super competitive and doesn't back down. He's like great human being, but like, so competitive and like has that mm-hmm. fire and like will come back at you. I mean, I, I love it. I love every minute of it. I it's it's the most like I know that M- Memphis and Minnesota is fun. Like and I don't know how well played it's been. Like I haven't loved what I've seen from Darren Jackson. I haven't loved what I've seen in moments from Carl Towns. Like it's been more hit or miss that the great players in that series have elevated themselves. It's just that they're two young teams and young teams take some time in the playoffs, right? Uh, New Orleans has a little bit more experience than both of those teams, frankly, with like CJ McCollum and Jonas Valanciunas. Like those guys have been in the big moments in a way that like the cores of Minnesota and Memphis in many ways have not been. So it's not surprising that you would see New Orleans maybe as the team that's executing. Uh, having said that, New Orleans has Herb Jones and Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado, three rookies, playing critical, critical moments uh, in the playoffs. So I don't know, man. I I, I I think that you're right. I think I would still take Phoenix. And if Phoenix gets healthy and continues to uh, you know, get Devin Booker back and – I don't know. If you know have you do you feel like Chris Paul has something going on with his left hand?
1: I didn't notice it, but it I mean it checks out. There's there's always something going on every postseason, you know? Um he didn't really take many shots last game that you know that I'm sure that has something to do with it if he does have a hand injury that's hampering him a little bit. It, but it yeah, didn't feel that, like
0: he was comfortable handling the ball. With his left hand, last game, and like and I think him-
1: you, you saw that when Jose Alvarado was picking him out full court as well. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he's he's a little bit he's a little bit hesitant. I I, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he he would be the last one to make an excuse for it. You know what I mean? But it's a real thing. If, if it's true, he truly has a, a injured hand. That's big. He's their only other source of offensive creation. Like that series, that's could go, what worries me. Go down me. real like, quickly. That's why I'm.
0: That's why I'm like, you know what? Like, I think that Phoenix is still going to win this series. But if like Chris Paul is 70% of Chris Paul, I don't know. Like I, this is a fucking annoying Pelicans team. Like I had a friend text me uh, that works at like an NBA front office that was like, can the Pelicans like make a run to the Western conference finals? Like that's, that's where we're at. And I was like, I don't think so. Cause I think that Dallas would give them too many problems. And then the person came back at me and was like, they can throw Herb Jones on him. They can throw all these other guys on him defensively and try and make Luca's life miserable. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I still think Luca is just going to get his and be God. Like it, it's, that's all that matters. Right. Like I'm not as uh, look, I, I think they're going to lose to Phoenix. I do, but they're competitive. They're, like I said, like I think they've been one of the five best teams in the West so far that I've mm-hmm. seen in the playoffs, or like four or five best teams in the West. So uh, But you know, I but I
1: agree, I agree with you. Like I'm I'm thinking that Phoenix is going to win this series because I trust Monty Williams. I trust Chris yeah. Paul. I trust how good Phoenix has been over the past couple of seasons. Um I trust their defense. You know, like I believe everything I've seen already with Phoenix. Right. But like a week from now, five days from now or whatever, like if you told me that the Pelicans did win a game seven and it was because Brandon Ingram was the best player on the court and nobody could guard him. He made a ton of contested shots. He's finishing out the rim. CJ McCollum, you know, Herb Jones made a crazy impact on defense. Chris Paul had no life. Like I guess I wouldn't I guess I wouldn't be like too surprised by it. Like I'd be surprised because it's the sun's number one team losing, but yeah, I guess I just changed my tune, my tune that quick. Like, I don't know. It doesn't sound unreasonable to think that that would happen.
0: Yeah. Like in any three game series, basically weird shit can happen. And this is now a three game series where Phoenix has two games at home and that's huge, but um, it's a three game series that could be without Devin Booker, depending on what his health ends up being moving forward. I'm glad you brought up Brandon Ingram because he was the last thing I wanted to talk about in this series. I think Brandon Ingram is the most underrated player in the NBA right now. Uh, the leap that he took over the course of basically the back half of this year in terms of unselfishness, in terms of shot making, he I know he made the All-Star Game in 2021. And he is considered this you know rising star in the league. But it felt like there was a bit of a level of... People forgot about him to some extent uh, being in New Orleans. And there was also like a bit of a disrespect because he didn't defend and he was more about himself as a shot maker and shot creator last year than he's proven to be this year in terms of passing and getting everyone involved and playing within a scheme offensively. I really believe that the leap we've seen from Brandon Ingram, he might be a top 20 player in the league like we're we're in like we're seeing that leap now uh, in that the national audience is finally getting a chance to see that Brandon Ingram is a star. He is a stud. And again, it comes back to this fact that like big shot creating wings, he's not as good as Jason Tatum cuz Jason Tatum defends and he passes better. Mm-hmm. Frankly, he's a better shooter. But these big shot creating wings are as valuable as any hard to, to defend cuz they're really hard to defend. They're the mismatch nightmare for every team. And I don't know, man, it's hard. He's really good. He's really fucking good.
1: Yeah, he kind of like what we were talking about with Tatum, like the game has slowed down for him a bit. And it's funny, um, just to kind of echo what you were saying about, it seems like people forgot about him a little bit just because of where he's playing at, um, you know, the lack of success, all the attention on Zion Williamson, whatever, whatever the case may be. But, like, he did win most improved player like just not too long like he's gradually gotten better and better and now you know he's on the na- national spotlight playing on national TV all the time playing in some big games games that he's never been in you know never been to playoffs he cooked the Clippers in the playing game like he's I think he's aver- I, I don't want to be wrong here but I think he's averaging like over 30 points in this series or close to it like he's he, he's been the best player he's been the best player in this series I mean Booker is injured. Um and you know, he had a thirty one point half. But like, man, there's there's been nobody even like remotely close to Brandon Ingram in this series. And I don't know. You know, you could you could throw the names like we mentioned earlier, Luca, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, like dudes that are getting it done at a little bit higher level than him that we trust. But like he's not too far behind. And that's 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 big. And then you know going forward, you know that you have someone as highly regarded Production wise, at least, maybe not uh, ceiling wise, as like a, a Zion Williamson, and you got C.J. McCollum there. Like they have something that they can really build on going forward in New Orleans, and I think that's exciting for all the people that were trying to get them out of town and relocate them or whatever. Like this is this is really cool for them.
0: Brandon Ingram in this series is averaging thirty point seven rebounds, five assists, while shooting fifty fifty eighty eight. <laughs>
1: That's 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 those are numbers we those are numbers we hear in the playoffs from like LeBron from Kawhi from whoever like those are the elite players like those are elite numbers now it's only been one round it's been four games but still like like,
0: that's gross
1: that's that's ridiculous
0: yeah unbelievable he's been unbelievable in this series um he's still only twenty four years old like. it it, he's coming i got a lot of shit i remember when he was still on the last year of his rookie scale deal i think i ranked him like fourth or fifth among all the players on rookie scale deals among guys that like i wanted this is why he's a mismatch nightmare for the playoffs this is Mm -hmm. a fucking hard guy to guard in the playoffs um and he's proven it in his first little run here and like those numbers don't even include the playing game he's averaging eight free throws per game he's getting to the line whenever he wants like i think you nailed it it's slowed down it's really slowed down for him now he is a uh he's a different cat than he was early in his career um that's a that's all that i like had scheduled i mean do you have any other like hot playoff takes that you have to get off your chest here like you know zach Levine's in the protocols now like it, it's that, that, yeah, that feels like a problem for Chicago, um, Miami and Atlanta. I haven't even looked at that score while we've been recording. Is, is that a 89, that a 80 score?
1: Miami?
0: Okay. So that series is about to be done. Um, I mean, Miami looks great. As long as Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry are healthy, we'll see whether or not they are, um, yeah. you know, and, and then golden state and, Denver, like I respect the shit out of Denver for trying and getting that game four win, but I mean, I I, yeah. I don't see that as competitive, really.
1: Yeah, I, I hate to look too far ahead too because we don't know what's going to happen. But I'm assuming Milwaukee gets by Chicago. Um, that uh, Milwaukee Boston matchup is going to be maybe the best one of the playoffs. Um, yeah, and it's going to be a different beast for both teams. Obviously, Chicago. nowhere near as good as Boston. And honestly, Brooklyn is nowhere near as good as as Milwaukee. Like there's just going to be so many interesting matchups in that series. Like Milwaukee actually has defenders. You know what I mean? Like Giannis can defend a few positions. He he might take the Tatum assignment. Drew Holiday might take the Tatum assignment. Like Brooke Lopez has size. Um, It's just going to be really interesting. Um, Those would obviously would be the two favorites. To to come out of the East, um, there might be a level of, you know, like disrespect or, you know, Boston might be feeling some type of way that Milwaukee shut their guys down that last game of the season so that they would avoid Brooklyn and set set Boston up with them. I don't know. I, I hope, I'm assuming, like, like I said, I'm assuming Milwaukee is by Chicago. And I hope we get a seven-game series there because those are going to be some of the best players remaining in the playoffs. Some of the best players in all of basketball: Jason Tatum, Giannis. Um, some crazy defensive matchups between Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday. Maybe Chris Middleton comes back. Like, yep. That's I don't know if that's a take or not, but I'm just excited to tell for that. So,
0: no, cool. I, I'm with you. I don't think that's a take at all. Uh, I I just really hope that Chris Middleton's knee gets healthy. That's kind of what it comes down to, yeah. right? Like, yep. uh Chris Middleton, they need him as a shot maker, I think, in that series because otherwise Boston's defense, I think, is really going to be able to bog down uh, a lot of what Milwaukee brings and Milwaukee then wouldn't have that like ISO pull-up shot maker that it needs to just bail it out of tough possessions against Boston because every possession is going to be a Mm -hmm. fight on that end for Milwaukee because that's what Boston does every time down the court. So I think they really need Chris Middleton in that series, and I hope that he's back, you know, by game two, game three, something yeah. like that, because uh, that that's that's the one I think that I agree with you. That's the series that I am most looking forward to. I would also say that if we can get Dallas and Phoenix uh, with Devin Booker healthy, mm-hmm. uh, that is a fascinating one because if there is one dude that I think can topple either Phoenix or Golden State in the West, it's Luka. And mm. I, don't, I don't think we understand. I tweeted this yesterday, but, like, I, I don't think that people quite understand how good Luka Doncic has been in the playoffs yet. Uh, he has played 15 playoff games. Luka Doncic in the playoffs is averaging, over the course of three playoff runs now, Thirty-three points, nine rebounds, nine assists, while shooting fifty percent from the field and thirty-nine percent from three. He is not human.
1: <laughs> like I tell I tell all my friends, if he if he stays healthy throughout his career in a way that like a LeBron did, like he might be like he might break all of LeBron's records. I, like winning championships, I don't know about that, but like points, assists, rebounds, like man, like he's, he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous.
0: And he's so shameless.
1: He's so shameless in how, like how he taunts the other teams, defenders and like, man, do this, do this something else.
0: It's really hard to overemphasize like the kind of trajectory he is on in terms of like where his ceiling is in terms of like the hierarchy of all time players. Uh, he has a chance to be – like I would say if he keeps doing what he's done so far in his career and doesn't get better, he's probably a top 15 player of all time. That's where we're – like he's going to average 33.99 like for a 10-year span – gonna be ridiculous and what is he like Luca? 23
1: years old right now 24 23 he's,
0: yeah, he's like 23 22 yeah, he just turned 23 in february like <laughs> it's unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah. uh how good he is at basketball he's special um i hope everyone really enjoys watching him uh not only because of the play but because like cole said that man talks an immense amount of shit like it is incredibly fun to watch that dude talk shit all right cole Tell the people where they can find you. Tell the people what's going on.
1: Uh, here's my favorite part where I got to try to piece together all the stuff. All right. Two and three hoops is where I write for as a freelancer for the Clippers. Um, not much going on right now, obviously, just some offseason content. Um, obviously, here at The Athletic, I have a weekly column that goes out every Tuesday. One came out today um, touching on injuries and you know how matchups are kind of dictating these series, uh, my WNBA coverage. I also right here at the Athletic. Um, you can find my betting content here. Um, also at Bet for the Win and for franchise franchise sports media. I cover the Aces here, so covered all the bases right there. You can find me on Twitter at Cole Hoops. My first name C O L E Hoops H O L P S. Um, yeah, I, I think I got everything. Appreciate you having me on, It's always always fantastic to, to get to chop it up with you talk basketball looking forward to, to being back on here next time whenever that may be and you know maybe we'll have some more crazy things to talk about
0: yeah we'll do it again before the end of the playoffs this was fun this was really really fun this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show you can watch us on youtube cole is going to be on youtube i am going to be on youtube i will send out a link we are going to live stream the podcast basically uh And we will have a lot of really fun content forthcoming. Uh, Please go rate or subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, whatever you're using. I don't even know if people still fucking use SoundCloud. Just yell it out. Uh, I will have a 2021 redraft coming this week at The Athletic that I will be hiding literally underneath my house uh, in order to avoid the takes that will come my way on Twitter. Uh, I then will also have a top 100 board. Uh, Coming later this week, uh, updating the 2022 NBA draft rankings because uh, I think that within the next, it could have come out already, but within the next 24 hours, I believe we will have an early entry list for the 2022 NBA draft. So we will have uh, at least the semblance of what the draft uh, pool will look like here. Until next time, though, we will talk soon.